Hi, it's Paul Newbegin from the Past Podcast. Today we've got a Seven Chefs, Seven Snacks special. Seven Chefs, Seven Snacks is an event hosted by James Close of the two Michelin star Raby Hunt in Darlington. Essentially, James invites some of the UK's best chefs and each of them cook a snack. Guests buy tickets and all the money raised goes to charity. Guests today are enjoying dishes all over the restaurant. It's been newly refurbed and they're enjoying dishes in the kitchen. The front yard's been set out as a marquee. The restaurant's been turned over into a snack special station. And we've got some of the best chefs in the UK here on the pass to talk to us about what they're doing today. So I'm here with Chef Larry Jessicara from Petrus in London. Yeah. You've come up today to Darlington to be a part of the Seven Chefs, Seven Snacks event. Absolutely. So how did you first find out about the event? Um, James got involved in uh, this event going for a good cause. Obviously, hospitality action, really good cause for future. Uh, it's for the our industry. And, of course, uh, it's straight away, yes. Then this idea came around, can you do something cold because... You know, so many savoury courses already on. And that's the idea came in. We will do a sort of a starting of the first dessert. So I want to represent something fresh, clean, citrusy, light. That was the idea. And that's why we went on a jackfruit where I originally come from Sri Lanka. We have this fruit. We fill up with a lime pad of fruit. So it's sort of a French take on a fruit we have in Asia and we serve it sort of a semi-frozen it's really clean aromas and scents you get sort of a pineapple mango passion fruit it's really nice way to starting uh, or finishing the meal you know and second one is a mangosteen again beautiful fruit you don't get to see over here and that's the idea for me is to serve today is something you don't get to see every day yeah and that's not a fruit that people be familiar with absolutely so could you maybe explain to me what it tastes like if there's an, a taste profile on the fruit what it tastes like yes. so people can be a bit more familiar absolutely so the jackfruit like i mentioned you have the taste of a passion fruit mango pineapple on the mangosteen sort of you get sort of a lychee and a rose petal so it's kind of a turkish delight but not that strong uh, that, that sort of flavors you're looking for yeah and and, and we have a chef table that's what we do something interesting uh, surprise menu so this Christmas time we do a French Christmas at Petrus everything is cooking in, in the French way so like capon we use capon for the chef table idea is capon is, is the, like the turkey in terms of here mm-hmm. in France so I wanted to give some it's a smaller bird yeah, absolutely yeah, giving an experience of real French Christmas what is it like so yeah, that's what we do. We go eight people can sit down in the chef table. It's right center of the heart of the kitchen. Every course we do, one of the chefs go up and explain. And good fun. Really good fun. So Petrus, if I'm right, is Gordon Ramsay Group. It is, yeah. So what other stuff have you got coming on there at the moment that people might be able to get involved in? I mean, Petrus is always an iconic restaurant. You know, a big name, big reputation, high expectation. Is that pressure for you, do you think? Every day is pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Life is pressure. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, make sure, for me, it's all about it's giving experience to the guests. Whether you pay £37.50 of a set lunch menu, whether you pay tasty menu with a big bottle of wine, it doesn't matter. Uh-huh. You're there to 
enjoyed and for me it's most experience important is you leave it with the experience go you know what that's not what I remember Petrus I really enjoyed this time that was something to remember something memorable and that's what we want to do one of the things you've done today well both of the presentations are very natural yep. almost trying to re-embody what the fruit would look like yep. on the inside is that something that you're really interested in is your presentation natural Every single plate of food, I want to keep it naturally as possible because that's where the real cook's coming from. Because if you start messing around with the nature, you're not going to have much luck of it. And you're trying to keep it naturally as possible and let the guests experience what something natural I don't want to be changed from natural to something else, you know. It's certain things you don't change. Certain things, yes, of course, we rearrange it, remold it. But most of the time, 99% of the time, I like to keep the food natural. The only question that I actually ask every single person that I talk to, which I always get a different answer, so it's mm-hmm. quite interesting, is as a chef, when you're preparing a dish, when you're thinking about a dish, how do you know when it's done? How do you know when it's ready to serve to a guest? That's a difficult question. It's never a boundary line to stop. You always think, oh, I need something more. But it's been discipline yourself. Look at the dish as a guest you're eating, not as a cook you're making. Because if you sit down, you eat that plate of food, you realize that's too much. doesn't need all these elements into it. Actually, it's four elements, five with the sauce. If it's a main course or fish course, it's enough. That's where that boundary line, discipline yourself, criticize as a guest, not as a cook. That's yeah. what I would say. Are you always thinking about the eating yeah. of the dish as well? Yeah. It's so important because it's so easy to carry it away and not knowing where to stop. So you got to realize as a guest what does it feel like eating. Yeah. Is it a bit of a chef's instinct do you think that you develop? Yeah, absolutely. It's really important because end of the day guests is the one sitting there eating, not the cooks. So really important you understand the perception of the guests rather than you have the ego and the mind of a chef. You know, you can't work like that. You got to understand what is a guest want. How is it feel being a guest sitting in that dining room eating that plate of food? Is it comfortable? Is it relaxing? Is it put you off? Is it tasty? You know, can you smell the aromas? Can you sense it? Is it make you want to want to come back and have another plate? That's what you got to understand. Yeah. I find it quite interesting. I, I used to ask chefs a lot, you know, what's your style of cookery? And more and more it was actually, well, I don't have a style. It's more about taste, yeah. taste, taste. It's not about this style of food or that style of food. Like you said, French, Indian, Sri Lankan. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which is style. It's about what's in season. Let the food speak. If you stick to this is my style, there isn't such a thing called style. It's about represent something tasty seasonal, elegant, interesting. That's what it's about. So what's also interesting about an event like this is you've got chefs from all different locations around the UK. What's it like for you in London at the moment? What's the restaurant scene like? Is it difficult with so many restaurants there competing for each other? Yeah, I mean, it's competitive, very competitive. You've got to be good not just one day, you've got to be good every day. And that's what is important. So we're trying to keep it consistent 110%. And that's why we have a pretty good business. We're doing 35 to 45 covers uh, lunch and uh, 50 covers dinner, uh, which is very, very healthy, you know, really good. So, 
and for people that want to find out a little bit more about what you're doing what's the best thing to do is you've got a website obviously social media yeah um, Instagram and we'll be posting all the links to every chef yep. that we interview also today we've actually taken over the staff canteen Instagram so if you oh. follow that the staff canteen no doubt you'll have seen Larry throughout the day I've been yeah. in his face most of the day taking pictures <laughs> <laughs> like every chef and they've been batting me away but um, you know thank you so much for your time oh, cool. your dish looks fantastic I have Pleasure. to say um, and if people want to find out a little bit more about what Larry's doing the guys at Petrus please follow the link in the podcast thank you Larry thank you very Pleasure. much Pleasure. thank you You know those boxes things, your containers. Yeah. yeah. Was that on the Michelle Rue thing? No. Was that the no, one that Adam, I was thinking of. Adam's Adam's place was on Michelle Rue. Uh, me and Adam were business partners in right, Barrio. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah, because that's what when we walked past it was like the T-side, C-side thing T-side, that they yeah. put out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's when I, I did say to my partner, like I recognise that from somewhere. Yeah. It used to be a carbon copy of the one on the beach. So Adam's got the one at the beach, and that was on that program. Right, okay. And he was going to invest in me to open up a taqueria next year in Newcastle. And then he opened the second site on the quayside, and then I think he just thought, why don't you just take that over instead? Yeah. And so he already had it, so I just maxed out a couple of credit cards, and it was like, we redid it, we made, we kind of enclosed it, and we changed it around now, so it kind of looks like itself, I guess. And they're like shipping that. crates, are they? Yeah, they're two 20-foot side opening shipping containers, so the side openings become the floor of the next one, and then we just built the frame framework just out of like bits of t-bar and recycled wood and stuff like that and in november in the rain welding the rain <laughs> so just built like a greenhouse on the side of it essentially how did you get your hands on them were they just well, left over or the containers well yeah. no so that it was a replica of the beach shack that yeah. has so he built it and then we converted it Right into into what it is now. Oh, so, so the kitchen was done, prowling and around the navy yards, bit, and no, and then the, <laughs> and then the so we just built like the extension onto it, which proved you know now we've had to do loads of alterations also because we built it like a full on greenhouse with no there was no outtake of air. So then all of a sudden it's like we're in the middle of winter, and then it would be like uh, once it started getting hot days, which is like an absolute greenhouse, like people couldn't they couldn't walk in the place. It was too hot, so all the chefs fallen. I suppose one of the things I guess that kind of caught the imagination of, of shows like that probably is catching the, the imagination of people now is that it kind of reflects the restaurant scene at the minute and that people are struggling to find what you would call traditional bricks and mortar <laughs> venues even find them afford them yeah the Ford is the main one I think but there's lots of chefs who trained in really good restaurants like kind of 10 years ago and now there's big talent of chefs out there who are like kind of in their early 30s and ready to open a restaurant but there's not loads of financial backing for them to do that and there's not a lot of spaces for them to do that too so it's a cheap way of getting your foot in the door you know hopefully someday I'll have kind of more of a classic restaurant in the, in the sense of restaurants but I'll still keep the, the taqueria anyway it's like a good start to it's a way to open a restaurant for a few grand I should probably take this to introduce you so I'm talking now to Sean Hurrell from is it Barrio Comida in Newcastle like I say I became familiar with you guys through Twitter through James and he's obviously kind of roped you in today as well (laughs) with all the other chefs what were your first thoughts when he asked you to come along today yeah it's a great opportunity to meet all these guys I haven't met any of them before and be involved in interesting things happening in the northeast food scene there's not masses of things happening but so it's good that 
anyone who wants to do something a bit interesting that everyone jumps on board. Well, I think it's fair to say it's growing quite rapidly at the minute. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's more and more. You know, I left to go to. I was I've been in London for the past six years, and in that six years, when I came back up, it was tenfold of what it was when I left. So it's going quick. So what's your background? Is it more in the fine dining style or mainly? I trained with Terry Laybourne in Newcastle when I was younger, and then I went to work with Marcus Waring at the Barclay for a couple of years, and then I started working at St John Restaurant, and I opened St John Hotel with that team in Fergus, and that was probably a big pivotal point for me of starting to like maybe more simple food and more kind of just ingredient-based food. So that's kind of more the route I go down now as opposed to when I was younger, but still obviously like the fancy restaurants. It's just, <laughs> just not my uh, path now. How did had this concept come about? Just because I grew up in California and there's a massive plethora of taquerias and over here there wasn't any really there is London especially in the past year has become very good for it there's quite a few really good Mexican restaurants down there but outside of London there's still not a lot and people tend to open them as a gimmick you know and don't kind of do it justice in my eyes so thought good thing at a good price point to open up and also to kind of open something that kind of all my friends could afford to come and eat too and something that had a nice price point for food of the people so I called it Barrio Comida because it means neighborhood food I want it to be a like a neighborhood place where anyone can come to and pop in and have a bite and a drink and on their way so what snack have you chosen to make for us today so we did a carabinero prawn tostada so we got really beautiful Spanish carabinero prawns and we did it on a Veracruz style so we've done it with a salsa matcha which is a really classic salsa of that region. It's oil-based, so we've dressed the prawns in that and then just topped them with a little bit of chopped Samazano tomatoes and coriander and nice olive oil, and that's it, really simple. One of the things that you've been doing today, which has kind of fascinated me, and I've got some really good pictures of, is you're kind of mixing it all up and, and you're doing it kind of in front of people. Is that something that you like to make, you know, mix it all fresh and keep it? Well, it needs to be, because the second you add salt to stuff, it changes rapidly, so... Things like all the salsas we do in the restaurant, if they're not fried salsas, if they're fresh salsas, they're all mixed to order because if they're not, they just go really juicy and the structure of it and the texture of it totally changes. So it's something you have to do every couple at a time, you know, at least. So, yeah. And you're making your tacos yourself. Yeah, so. we got a quite a palava, but we imported a, a Lenin tortilla machine from Mexico. It took about four months to get over here. So we weren't able to open all day because we have to shut the middle of the day to make all the tortillas for the dinner service. So we'll do normally three, three to four hundred tortillas before each service. So just right at the beginning of service, and they're kind of good for about two hours. And then after about two hours, they start to kind of degrade a little bit. So, so is it Californian style tacos? Is it Mexican? Is it Mexican Californian? Is it? Yeah, it's my interpretation of Mexican Californian. I guess it's not super legitimately California taqueria because just because it isn't, and I wanted it. it takes into account probably my background a little bit and that I want to do something a little bit more interesting so we dress all the tacos differently and they all have kind of salsas that complement meats and things and things are cooked in interesting ways And but the basis of all the tacos and dishes are very Mexican we do a prawn taco but whereas it would maybe just normally be quite a cheap grilled prawn we use a really high quality wild red prawn and we grill the heads of them to squeeze over and we turn all the shells into a salsa and so we kind of take a little bit a step further I guess but still stay Mexican well you've got some customers waiting so I won't keep you any longer but thank you so much for joining us cheers thanks mate cheers so the first thing you did today or got somebody to do was decide to shock up a whole load of oysters are they 
Yeah, so obviously James supplied the oysters. Yeah, we use the same supplier, so it was easier for him to get yeah. them in here rather than me travel them up. Yeah, so we cooked them 62 degrees, 45 minutes, and we shook them up, portioned them up nicely. And we've got some comfy baby fennel, which is dressed with some larder. Uh, little diced chunks of lardo underneath. Side the oyster on top with some deep fried crispy quinoa on top of that. And some raw fennel. And we've got buttermilk and dill oil dressing and some dill snow on top of that as well. So one of the things that you obviously have got to do quite a lot lately is think about a whole lot of new dishes. When you're you know, starting to think of a new dish, where does the ideas first come from? You've got to start with the classics. You know, the classics for a reason, because they work. So you kind of want to just rejuvenate stuff you've done before and just bring things back to life. And there's, you know, some dishes are like the oyster is a brand new dish to me. It's not, it's not copied. It's not from anywhere else. It's a new, new dish. So yeah, I suppose you just some things just come together like just like that. Some things take weeks. Some things won't work, and you might have to revisit it and try and make it work again. But. So the reason that I've alluded to that you've got to make so many new dishes of late is that my guest at the moment is Mark Birchall from Moore Hall, and you guys are kind of still relatively quite new. Yeah, um, six months old. So. And you took on a pretty big project, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it was massive renovation, which we did. You know, my business partner took on the renovation. Obviously, business, you know, we own the business together. Yeah, it's huge, huge. So fine dining restaurant, 50 covers plus 14 private dining six acres with gardens a lake then we've got a barn as well which we're going to convert into a casual dining restaurant but also on site we'll have a dairy a little butchery you know maybe in a couple of years to come up with a bakery and a little brewery as well so so why was it important to do such a massive project well, it was wasn't it just, it just happened <laughs> it just happened yeah it's kind of like when you go shopping hungry and like you start with you know I'll just get a few things you know we're massive load yeah <laughs> so if I get this wrong you have to Give me, is this your first solo yeah. venture on your own? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, do you think that was probably played a part? You know, you've been head chef at some well known places and now it's like. Not really. I mean, I uh, spent nine months looking for a property. We looked at everything from old barns to high street Indians to, you know, all sorts of stuff, rundown pubs. Just after, you know, we viewed it and we loved it. It took a couple of viewings and. Yeah, it just happened like that. We didn't have one particular idea. I always like the idea of having a little bit of land and some space to do other things outside a restaurant on site. But it just, yeah, it just happened. We just got lucky, I suppose. You know, I met my business partner three years ago. And that's when we started looking. How important has it been for you to take control a little bit of the things going on? Because, again, it must have been a bit difficult at times in terms of, you know, your development of restaurants. I, I saw on your Twitter page, you know, before I even knew you about, you know, you had problems with some of the building and this and that. Was it difficult? Yeah, yeah, it was mental. It was crazy. It was really difficult. I mean, it's a 16th century building, so, uh, you know, it was always going to be difficult. Was it a Claren call at the very last minute yeah, to, to drive yeah. up from <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. So what did that text or call look like? Was it, we're in the stink, please help? Well, we work at Yoro in Sheffield, and the owner, head chef Luke, knows John Feeney really well. So I think basically through that, John realised it was going to be... Luke was meant to be here, basically. Yeah. He couldn't make it today, so right. he sort of just said, do you guys want to do it? And yeah, <laughs> we, we said, why not? So, I think yeah. John realised as well, like with what he had... 
Yeah, it was a lot of work, so yeah. Yeah, I needed the extra hand. So you kind of walked straight in and you were on barge duty, was it? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. So what was it that you guys were working on? What was the ingredients in the dish? Onion and seaweed barge. So then we, it was basically showcasing tuna and seaweed. Yeah. So we had different types of seaweed on Yeah, so it was a tuna mayonnaise. Mayonnaise made from the oil out of tins of tuna. We had a tuna pokey, which was a, a light sort of sesame soy dressing. So fresh bits of tuna down. Then we had bonito flakes, another tuna element, and then just a couple of herbs and two types of kombu, so a kombu ketchup, and then the waste from that into a, a kombu puree on there so as well. Working with things like seaweed and things like yeah. that must be something you're quite familiar with because your website, I think it describes you as, was it Scandinavian Japanese? <laughs> something yeah. like that? Yeah, it's pretty um, mixed. <laughs> I guess like the Scandinavian influence just comes from trying to forage and trying to utilise the season's produce basically so just taking yeah. inspiration from how they obviously it's the winter for a lot of the year so they just have to try and ferment like pickle yeah preserve a lot of their stuff to be able to use it throughout the year so we concentrate on that a lot and Japanese is I think because Luke's quite heavily Japanese influences yeah, in, in everything in yeah. there, even with the, tuna, the barge today I'd like the, the seaweed through it and yeah so I guess as any restaurant or most restaurants these days it's quite from all over the world yeah. but that's the sort of style that we and what sort of experience are customers getting is it as a tasting menu or is it a la carte we um, we call it small plates so you can either pay for just individual plates but the majority of customers go for the tasting menu so we do an 8 and a 10 at the minute yeah sometimes we do a 12 depending on like towards the weekend we tend to have a lot of dishes floating around so it might be a 12 course on a Saturday but the customers will like 4 or 5 snacks right as soon as they arrive so by the time you've finished if you had the 10 course you're probably eating about 18 different plates of yeah. food yeah yeah. Does it take a little bit more discipline, would you say, for these small plates? Because it's something that's quite popular at the minute in restaurants, and I wondered if it takes that little bit extra discipline. I think it's all worked out in the prep. I mean, everything we do, we spend all our days like just making the service easier because it needs to be quick with five chefs in the restaurant. So for us, service-wise, it just needs to be rapid, really. So, yeah, to say it's disciplined, it's all just thought of beforehand, and then come service time, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. What about like, uh, maybe a key element? or maybe a philosophy even might be the right word but behind a small plate what sort of checkpoints are you trying to get? First and foremost it's got to be delicious like you'll find a lot of places will be I'm not saying everywhere but like style over substance but for us if presentation takes a back seat to Yeah it's almost the other way around like it doesn't always look as pretty as it tastes yeah. Yeah. Like We might do a dish like exo brassicas where it's like just exo paste like spread on the plate Loads of different broccoli yeah. Kale burn, really burn, and just chucked on the top with loads of breadcrumbs on top and stuff. And it's, yeah. it might look a little bit, and like the celeriac dish as well, which is great truffle. So, and even if it's gone all over the plate, you know, wipe it around, it's just send it. So, I'm very natural. I'm based so. in Leeds, oh. and uh, funny enough, I was talking to Tim earlier about the kind of food scene in Leeds and Yorkshire. And it seems to me something that's growing, but maybe something that needs work. How is it for you guys? The food scene's not, it doesn't seem really refined if it is such. It's more chain restaurants and stuff. There's a of like big hearty meals in Sheffield as well but you know considering all that the restaurant does really well and we're always busy and I think people want to eat that type of food but yeah to say around us there aren't that many restaurants doing the same thing 
Well, I guess in a way that that makes you guys have a little bit of an advantage. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, then you're not necessarily got that custom around you. Are you a destination restaurant, or is it? There's definitely, even if we're not quite there, there's definitely the potential to be because yeah. we're not even in the centre of Sheffield. Are right. Okay. So it's even people within Sheffield are having to not commute, but like take go and see. Yeah, that area. If it helps, like again, before we eat out, we do a lot of research, and the restaurant is one that keeps coming up on my research Twitter. Mm. People yeah. give them really good reviews, so that must be quite satisfying, mustn't yeah. it? Yeah. Every now and again, we'll step out of the place, and everyone, and we'll bump into someone who's heard of it, and they're like, "Oh, you're doing really well." And stuff. And because we're there all the time, we don't yeah. see yeah. what the outside yeah. world sees. Yeah. By the sounds of it, we're no, I, really I'd well, say yeah. so. Yeah. Definitely, like so. It's really well for its first year. When I saw you guys come in and I saw the name on the apron, I thought, "Oh, that's really cool." I didn't know they were going to be here, yeah. and yeah. one that I've wanted to try for a little while. My partner literally just finished in Sheffield Uni, but I hadn't heard of it before she bloody finished. Yeah. So yeah. sod's law, but we'll definitely have to come back and yeah. visit. What's the best way for people to get in touch? With sure, obviously website and the social media is there. Twitter, Euro. Uh, if you would comment on yeah. an Instagram picture or something, I'd imagine yeah. we'll get back to you. But yeah, in terms of booking or anything, it's definitely a phone call or an email. So. Yeah. yeah, everybody that's on the podcast today, I'm going to put a link in the podcast to the website. So keep an eye out for these guys at Euro. Thank you so much for your time, guys. Thanks, Cheers. Thank you. Next up was Chef Tim Allen, formerly of the Michelin star Wild Rabbit in Kingham. He's now moving on to open up a restaurant in Manchester. It looked like every time I turned around to you today, you were doing something, mate, clearing I was, down. Mate, I, was, mate, I, was, I, was, I was weeded, I was like... I was like... It's funny because it was just recycling the dishes to get the dishes back, you know what I mean, to cook the puddings in because we're doing it like to order. James and Max next year, I'm not doing something <laughs> to order. <laughs> is it one of those things, even as an experienced chef, as much as you are, where you have the idea of the dish and then you want to do it, so you don't even kind of the logistics go out of the window? Yeah, to be honest, yeah, I don't really kind of take any consideration. I mean, it's like passion is you want to do it and it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to do it in respect of that. And then as you're going through and I'm looking how the day works, I can see that I'm thinking, oh, yeah, shit, I'm going to be quite intense for a few hours. I've never seen somebody clear down. Every single time I turned around to you, you're clearing down, getting ready again. Was it fun though? Oh yeah, proper. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. So I, I kind of like cook on, on that edge anyway. So, yeah. so I like it. I have some dishes, obviously, where it's a lot. It's you know pre-done and methodical, and yeah. it's, it's finished to order and things like that. So it's easier. But also I have a lot of things where I cook. You know, I cook like aluminium, most a lot of stuff. So it's, it's nice to cook like that. You know what I mean? And it, and it does make a difference. Is it kind of almost? What's the right word? Like almost proper. Yeah, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's really sleeves up. Yeah. yeah, get a bit of sweat going on. And, and yeah, do you, I mean, you want a bit of that, don't you? Do you know what I mean? But as I said, a bit of that is great, and I've experienced it this summer. I won't be doing it <laughs> What's your experience with a lot of the guys in the kitchen? Have you worked with a lot of these guys before? Uh, no. I did a, I saw a collaboration today last time I came up with James, and that was pretty cool. So it was all, so I was all working. So my, even though I was a guest, I come in the kitchen stuff with Russell, so that was quite cool. I've not been to Casimir, which is scandalous, and I've still not been to Sats, which is scandalous as well. I'm going to go up and see Mark and Moore all shortly it's just getting about and I've not even been down to like it's like getting down to Giddler's like miles away yeah. so it's, it's, you know, and that's it's, the thing we don't have time you know it's trying to get so something like this which what I think is great about the day is you all get to like interact socialise with it don't you which you wouldn't want to do so something like this is it's great for hospitality action obviously and, but it's also good for us as well good for hospitality and good for us as chefs to do it and see other people's dishes and you know and inspirations and stuff it's pretty cool let's talk about the dish then you made today yeah. talk me through the dish for the 47 sorry sorry 
<laughs> I'm joking. Uh, no, so it's, on the bottom, it's a pig's blood royale. So basically, royale's normally got whole eggs in it. Uh, that's just got a bit of egg white in just to stabilise it. It's only like 20 grams per kilo. It's just like, you can't even really feel it, to be honest. Um, and it's just literally pure blood. And it's infused like seven different spices with, like, with leeks that are really slowly cooked. To order, we thermomix that for, you know, time and temp. And then we just finish it in the oven just to set it. So it's still probably slightly cr- like creamy looking in the middle. On top of that, we've got cured smoked pork jowl that's roasted to order and dropped on just for fun. And it's got a curried pickled onion puree dropped on top of that. Compressed apples, and then it's got exploded like crispy pork skin from the bellies dropped on top of that. And then like a palm ham powder, nasturtiums, and a little spray of a maple version. It's funny, um, you know, you're saying about trying to get around to people's places. Your restaurant was one of the places that I was trying to get around to. I'm not going to go into it any more than that. But from what I saw of it, your food today kind of represented what I had in my head as what your food would be. Hearty, flavoursome. I start as individual style comes with, with like, I think it comes with confidence with time. So when you step out of a place that you've worked for a long time, you cut your teeth and then you learn it. You then start to step up, you start to evolve your own style. So you start to evolve Tim and, you know, like James has evolved, evolved James in text. He's done that for seven years and he's done it without any prior influences. Do you know what I mean? So he's just gone out and done it, hasn't he? Which is like what I think is really cool about it. So for me, it's like it's also about learning that and stepping forward as well. I'm telling you, I've only just really started doing that in like five years. So it affects the stand on my own. So yeah, I suppose it's high. I like very flavoured best food. It's still got to look nice, but how it eats and that depth of flavour and the layering of flavour is really important. What interested me halfway through, I was taking some pictures and I said, oh, it looks great. And you're like, ah, it's a bit, a bit rough and ready. What, what are you looking for? Well, because I thought it is, but it's like if you look at, like, for example, if you look at some of the chef's dishes, they've got the cleaner and easier to look at with the way the dishes they're on and the construction. This is quite difficult when you're making a royale that's baked in a bowl to order and everything's put on top of it. There's only so pretty, isn't it? You know what I mean? So, but it's pretty. Oh, I, li- I liked it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's lovely. I, I, I like it. I wouldn't have done otherwise, but it's just like, it's not a, it's not an elegant dish. It's a dish to eat. Here's a question then. It's probably one of the only questions I ask every single one of my guests. What is it for you that makes a dish ready to serve? What checklist are you going for in your head? Well, to be honest, before you've even served it to anyone, it should have been eaten in numerous times anyway. And even when you've got a dish that's on the menu and it's good, you're always still going to make improvements to it. It's a simple fact. Because as you look at that dish and as you serve it, it, it will evolve naturally ahead. Or you've had another inspiration or a different idea or a technique to improve the way you're already doing something. But when you're eating it, it's got to have temperature. Texture's got to be really important. Obviously, appearance, because you don't really people, everyone eats their eyes initially before you actually put a knife and fork to it. And then it's just bounce the flavours now, it all marries together really. And just getting that executed properly. But that should come from pre-testing. Are you someone who's always thinking about food, or is yeah, it? Yeah, always. Yeah, I mean, recently for the last like few years, I've been heavily saturated in the business side as well. But that was deliberate, obviously, to, to to grow. But yeah, very intensely so. Yeah, I mean, that's what I kind of like. That's what gets me out there in the moment. And I suppose the question that you might be sick of answering now is, what's next? Well, that will be at my restaurant by starts early spring, hopefully. Yeah, really exciting. The first time I can go, and, you know, just open up with no kitchen in place already. So that'll be built from scratch. The restaurant's built from scratch, and it can be a food concept that I can do from scratch you know so fingers crossed I don't cock up the food concept <laughs> otherwise we won't have a very busy restaurant but hopefully we won't do that so uh, you know we'll, we'll do something everyone wants to eat and what's the best thing then if people want to keep on top of development what's the best thing for people to do eat <laughs> I mean on top of your developments in your restaurant well I don't I'm not a massive social media but obviously I'm on social media and stuff but well, obviously there'll be a couple of announcements made and then we'll start the driver website with a new business stuff like that so thank you so much thank for you. your time thank you up next, it's Chef of the Year, Peter Sanchez. 
from Casamia in Bristol. Was it all right? You were like up against it, you. No, it was all right to be yeah. fair. I was just kind of not me. I was like, I'm just 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 like, Mustn't it? Yeah, it's been pretty mental. Especially with last week being the whole good food guy thing and everything. Like the response from that. Yeah. Mental, mate. Do you feel like that's what it's been building up to, though? Or? Yeah, I think so. Over the over the years of everything going on, we're just constantly always trying to push and evolve it. Yeah, constantly we've just been always trying to push Russia forward, trying to make it better. And that obviously proved in a good food guy, and I think the, the team are just improving every day with what we're trying to do. Yeah. And it showed. So, yeah, all, everything's just great at the moment. It must be like one of those things now where you're almost like kind of waiting for this wave to hit you of all this chef of the year. And has it kind of sunk in or? I don't think it ever really does sink in all the awards. I think they just, like at the time when you hear about it, you're like, wow, this is amazing, like incredible. But at the end of the day, you're always constantly thinking, I still need to cook the best meal I can possibly cook for that customer that day, table by table. So you still are trying to do your utmost every single day. So you never have real time to sit back and just enjoy and go, yeah, wow, I'm chef of the year. It's kind of like, that's amazing. It brings more customers. Then you've got more pressure just to make sure that you're cooking to that standards yeah. every day. So if what, anything, it just motivates me and drives me forward. What is it that's driving you on? Is it just the will to improve or the will to please people? Or I think I'm constantly just being driven by the will to please people. To give them, <laughs> honestly, to give them. <laughs> At least you're honest. <laughs> but it's the constantly. Um, I don't know, just to create experience where they remember. And I think that's the most important thing. Like, we're not just a restaurant what just serves food to fill your belly. That's not what it's about. It's about, I don't know, expressing yourself through the language of food. And we just try to have people who just come in and they go away and in 10 years' time they still remember a, a certain dish what they had. I think that is just the most amazing thing what you can add to someone's memory so you were the a chef that had to change a very small element of their dish today and you had to change the fish is that right so today basically we had a delivery coming on Friday and the brown trout uh, what our supplier normally supplies us with we already knew kind of like months in advance but we didn't realise it was going to be this week we literally depleted all their stock so <laughs> we used all their brown trout they need about 16 to 18 months before the next generation to grow uh, big enough in size for the size we want we always knew that was cool so we changed it over to rainbow trout what's come, obviously coming from them because we just knew we had to flip it over and then within the next 16 months we'll flip over to brown trout and then vice versa and keep working off it because it's only a small farm so is this dish that we had today was is a restaurant dish then that you guys do yeah it's a restaurant dish it's a little variation with the skin normally we serve the skin on its own today we served it with some leek flowers and, and the smokes little smoked cream of, of trout what I think works really nicely but it's to make the whole system function better for the customer because they, they're not sitting down and eating it at the table with cutlery 
they're, they're standing up and they're eating it with cutlery so we had to make it work from that perspective so we just changed it slightly that's all with the success that you're getting obviously you are having now people like me wanting to shove microphones in your face you got you were entertaining uh, you know the, the crowd state it seemed quite a confident person so are you okay with that um, yeah I just believe in in what we do at Casimir I've done it for so many years now I've been cooking since I was 15 so we're talking yeah 17 years of cooking I feel comfortable with, with what I do I understand what it is what I'm doing I prepare myself I prepare with the guys so Danny today for instance who come and helped us from Casimir because he lives up north so I asked him is it okay because we're on a week's holiday this week but I was like mate is it okay if you come across and, and help me and he was more than happy because he was like it was brilliant to be around all these chefs and that was the same feeling for me just to be in the kitchen with all these guys is awesome we don't get the chance to do it all the time and then it's a boost bonus to the fact that we're cooking and we get to serve nice people it seemed to me that you like your sort of food as a spectacle was it with a bit of charcoal or something you were burning the, the skin or searing the skin of the fish oh uh, yeah so when we plate in a dish we just have the actual loin part what we just takes little small portions from and then we finish it with a burning ember of coal so instead of aggressively cooking it over a barbecue or trying to smoke it well really doesn't give you the barbecue aroma of what you want we just literally touch it with the coal with burning embers as hot as they possibly can be finishing it A to give it an aroma to the dish and they also carry on through with a flavour because it's a very particular taste a charcoal kind of flavour that's nice I got to try it and it was especially like you say the, the skin and the, and the little leek flowers it was a, a bit kind of like a contrast again to me yeah. and then you had a puree on the skin was it yeah yeah I think crispiness creaminess and that onion the smokiness of the, of the trout through the smoke mousse yeah it just it's a, it's a winning combination really and is that how you like to do your food at Kasema? Is it all about balance for you? Or? Oh, yeah, everything, everything's got a balance, but it's got to have a place in the menu. So some things maybe, I don't know, I might serve you right now and you might not get it, but within the balance of a, men, a whole menu, eating at Casimir, you would understand it. So that's why it's always quite tricky to, to understand what we're going to be using as a course, especially if we're only serving one, because it's not the full experience of what it's almost like giving you, I don't know, half a chapter of a book and it's like well yeah. where's the rest of it like so it's not complete yet so this i always see as an example just to have something what gives you an idea and an indication of what casimir is about and so hopefully what we did with the trout dish today it's obviously working and the food looked absolutely amazing today Thanks, so man. it's been a, a real pleasure to meet you I, at some point i'm desperate to come down to bristol so it's i'll give you a shout done. when i do mate it's yeah. got to be done yeah i will do promise all right mate thank you Thanks, so much man. My next chat was with John Feeney. His job is, uh, well, I'll let him tell you. All right. Had a good day? Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> just knackered. <laughs> I've been really burning it at both ends, travelling. I just got back from Holland, Belgium, just all over the place. But it's, it's lovely to do this because it's charity. You put a real challenge on yourself. Yeah, no. Were you here last year? You were, weren't no. you? No, 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 I wasn't here last year. Because I've done the Freya Roche last year. Right, okay. Which was chicken livers. And um, basically, I made them look like Freya Roches. You see the pictures? Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they were, a bell. And they were actually served in a Freya Roche um, dish. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and it caused a lot of controversy in a good way. And it was taken from the inspiration of um, pate, Melba toast, and Cumberland sauce. So we done the bacon jam. We built them like Frere Rochers with the nut in the middle, 
and we then sort of like coached them and then made them look like Ferrero Rochers themselves. <laughs> so That's brilliant. But that was a hard one to beat. It, it was good, and even I know that was good. And then it was like the pork pie. So pork pie is such a humble, staple dish. Everyone has it. It's at buffets. And because it was snack, I thought, well, how can I do a pork pie at a two Michelin-star restaurant and elevate it? So, again, you look out there what you can take inspiration from. And Battenberg hit me. I was like how can I do a Battenberg pork pie? So that then got me to challenge looking at making a pork pie with all the DNA of a pork pie, but make it look like Battenberg. Then you look at the dressing. You, you serve that with either piccalilli, brown sauce, whatever you're, you're sort of like you like to dress that with. And I thought, no, again, this deserves something that is going to cut through the richness, the fattiness, but also give a, a little fresher in the mouth. So I'd done the actual gooseberry, apple and koji ketchup. Again, I think it worked well. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one was generally people serve pickle onions with their, um, is it now, pork pie, just again to help sort of cut through the flavours and, and bring it as a complete dish. But I thought, rather than put these sort of pickle onions on, let's use them as something that will house the sauce so it becomes something that's usable in the sense that you can fill the sauce in, but also you can eat it afterwards. We all talk about sustainability and how you sort of better maximise things. So that was that dish. And then talking about sustainability and using ingredients and stuff that's sort of like japan's used for many many years i thought seaweed it's that marmite product isn't it so how do you make seaweed stand out and everyone who tasted that baju who said to me said that was unbelievable only one lady said it was probably a bit spicy than she could normally handle but i thought that was quite good because that was an authentic recipe a bajia recipe not baji bajia and uh, I made it with seaweed. But then also I added, because there was gluten-free, I was informed that there needed to be a gluten-free offer. So um, I used green banana flour and I used chickpea flour. And again, green banana flour is very new, but it has a lot of opportunities in pastry and savoury going forward. It's sustainable. It's fair trade, and a lot of people are now starting to notice this flower. Is that a benefit of, you know, a side effect of what you were saying to me earlier, that you travel so much, that you do get to experience these new ingredients maybe before some other chefs? Yeah, and and it's the same as when I look back at uh, many years ago. I remember when uh, probably about 14, 15 years ago, I was on my travels in Korea and I took black garlic back to uh, Sat and John Freeman at Sat Baines. And what made me laugh at the time, Jeez, this is, what are you done to this? This is amazing, this taste. But everyone was like, what, what have you done to it? Black garlic that time ago, because no one knew it. But now, I think the mindset of chefs and the black books have opened up and we all share we are in that that society and especially like an event like today it's about not only what you do it's seeing what the others do and it becomes that culinary cross-pollination i was going to say that though because i didn't quite 
catch what happened but as I understood it maybe you can correct me in a minute but you were struggling a little bit you were a little bit behind you got yeah. in your little black book made a call so are you the most connected man in cookery then because <laughs> you literally had two guys come up from Sheffield to help you no but they were organised but they just was a little bit later <laughs> yeah. but at the end of the day the, the thing is my job the network that I have is fantastic and I'm very humble and honoured to be here I'm the only non-Michelin star chef I come from a different background so I never worked in restaurants like these guys I worked on private yachts I've worked all around the world I work, we have 15 kitchens around the world you know so it's, it's all over the place so um, it's a lot of inspiration yeah. and like I'm going over to Thailand and Japan in a couple of months and okay I've got to do the day job which is to do what I do. But while you're there, you grab and see and look for anything that's quirky and new. And whether it's relevant for there and then, or it's just, right, actually, let's put that up the sleeve for a rainy day. So and that's what you do. Can we talk a little bit about the day job? Because it's quite unique. And it, as I understand it, it's something that you sort of created a little bit yourself. So the, the job, I was headhunted by this family-owned company, which is Griffiths Foods. And we basically look at food and we create food for restaurants, we create food for fast food, retail, manufacturing, QSR. It's all levels. So next week I'm working on the next generation pizza. The week after I'm working on what is fermentation of the future. We're looking at two weeks ago, I actually went to Holland working at the automation of chefing and what that will be in the future. So I worked with an oven that is the size of this restaurant, complete building, and how this oven of the future can cook something from a humble roast chicken and it comes out and it will cook it in the most perfect way if it needs steam, if it needs to be supercharged at the end so the crackling of the skin becomes that or they want a little introduction of smoke and flavour. I'm very lucky because it's every week is completely different and it's it's hard to map and some people couldn't handle that because you have to be flexible in this job but I think like I've been with Tom Kerridge just recently and he's like you're an ambassador for our industry and that's why I you know people like Tom Kerridge Sat Baines Claude Bossy Jockey you know John Freeman all these people Daniel Clifford we all sort of keep together because we cross-pollinate each other we inspire each other and what I do will, and who I work with I will elevate them and if I've elevated them then I know I've succeeded in my job now sometimes you can't elevate people because people don't really want to change so it's knowing that you're working with people that want to change food is such a phenomenal subject I mean when I first started this job it was prawn cocktail, it was steak, it was it was Black Forest Gatto. You know, I've been a chef for 30, 33 years now, and it's so much change. How much time doing your job do you get doing what you did today, you know, spending time behind a pass? All the time. Probably 70% of my time, that's a rule I have with my company. I'm a culinary, I've got a posh title. Culinary Innovation yeah, Director That's Europe. kind of what, what I meant. Yeah. It felt to me, like I was reading your website earlier, that yeah. you'd almost come up with it a little bit yourself. Yes. That's kind of what I was trying to get at. Yeah, and I mean, the job has evolved. Yeah. They employed me. 
they probably didn't know what they were going <laughs> to do with me. I was going to ask you, did they know yeah. what they were bargaining for? Yeah, no. And in essence, that's what's been so fantastic about the job because every week is completely different. And then you've got the culinary aspect, but then you've got the food culture. The food culture by travelling around the world is unbelievable. And I've been quite fortunate because we've got kitchens around the world. I tap in quite closely with the regional chef. So he gives me upfront, close, personal sort of contact with key people straight away. So you don't have to sort of sift through and try and find. You know, I'm quite fortunate I turn up at Chicago and suddenly we're eating in the quirkiest restaurant in Chicago, whether it's street food or whether it's a high-end restaurant or whether it's something that's a little bit of a pop-up outside the sort of normal realms of what you would normally eat. So perhaps then you could give me and the listeners a bit of insight in what is happening at the minute that excites you the most be it a restaurant an ingredient a technique well i suppose at the moment with different dietary requirements there's this big investigation into sort of like i've used the green banana flour is looking at alternative flours alternative starches flavor is a key thing so just the humble spices that you take for granted is looking at authentic sort of like for example the telly chili pepper so i do an event called the universal cookery food fest and i work for a spice ingredient company but we've got a spice ingredient company that's now actually sponsoring the universal cookery food fest and they're giving an education to sort of the attributes of a humble black peppercorn but it's the chili chili pepper and in there is 26 different attributes to that pepper you know, whether it's uh, sort of like that real earthy or that real sort of medicine, tea tree oil. You know, when you break down that humble, I mean, we all talk about wine and what it's got. And it's it's got a bit of licorice, it's got chocolate, it's got <laughs> this. And you can do that with spices. Yeah. And if you're using real good spices and not these ones that you've kept in your cupboard for many years you can suddenly get a sensational flavour. So that is something that is definitely coming round and chefs are starting to look at that is spices and not sort of the spices that they've kept at the back of their store cupboard for many, many years. So I think people are again re-educating themselves to that sort of thing. Flavour and texture. If you get them right, then you've got an elevation of a great dish. One of the things I think I saw as well that you do is a bit of like a blog keep people up to date on I do it's hard to do because a lot of what I work on is confidential right of course so I have to be very mindful of confidentiality there's lots I would love to talk about but then you have to respect if I started shouting about the latest whatever I'm doing for one retailer then you know obviously the other retailer is going to pick that up and then they're just going to follow me and then try and be faster to the market or qsr or restaurants so you have to be careful what you put out there but you have to let people know like the universal cookery food fest you're more than welcome to come down as my guest but what it is we're getting uh, was it now we're doing surf and turf it's an event that we move around the length and breadth of britain 
So this is a brainchild of myself, and I got the likes of Lee Maycott, who's the chairman of the Craft Guild of Chefs, and I've got the guy from Reynolds, who's a development chef. So we got all three of us together, along with a company called McCullum Moore, an events company. And it was in Laristoke, it was in the northeast a few years ago, River Cottage, it's in Padstow. And basically, it went from 100 attendees to now 600. And in the middle of a field, we do demos, we do foraging, we do farming, we've done clay pigeon shooting. And this year, we're doing foraging and coastal foraging. We've also put up a new arena where we're going to do like an arena out of hay. So it's going to be like an amphitheatre. And we're going to do nose and tail of a kangaroo because now they're looking at what is the next alternative meat? Is kangaroo that meat? And if so, chefs, if they suddenly start cooking a kangaroo, there's different cuts. And where a kangaroo bounces on its back legs, then the upper body parts is going to be more tender products. So we've got to re-educate ourselves to what we know of like cattle roaming yeah. and what would be secondary joints and what would be primary joints. And what we do, we try to share that with people. And when you share that information, then there becomes more interest and then there becomes more opportunity to sell what you want to sell, which is tuned into some of the trends. So what's the best thing for people to do then, listening to the podcast, if they want to get involved in you know, sharing that information? Well, it depends who's listening to your pod. There's, there's, there's open-minded people who are willing to taste things because people eat out because why would they eat the food that they can cook at home? They want to eat food that's going to be, wow, how did you do that? Or what, what's happened? Uh, how did they manage to do that? Or, you know, with the different equipment the different packaging that's out there suddenly food can be elevated in a completely different format you look at the dishes on great british menu you know sometimes it's about the dishes not the actual food there's some really quirky uh, dishes and how they were engineered put together i wish i had time to watch it a little bit more (laughs) but the ones i have seen it's sometimes the focus of the dish and how it's put together and it's that simple food offer but it's what it's been put on that's been elevated yeah that's what's brought the dish up yeah but it goes back to my point you know spices different meats different flowers how can we sort of push ourselves in this global garden of getting food to sort of take to our table you know there's a whole global garden of food offer there you know we're quite fortunate you know we can't just think uk only otherwise we wouldn't have just the humble lemon olives wine so even chocolate you know do you imagine if we started getting a little bit pompous (laughs) about that yeah would it that'd be hell to pay i imagine so i hope that's been yeah insightful incredible i mean like i say i was you know just learning about what you've done throughout the day and, and meeting you yeah. been, you're such a nice guy well, I think every chef in there they're not a shouty chef no. I mean they've, they've probably come from the roots of because to get to where you where they're at they probably yeah. had to sort of shout yeah. but the chef world is changing it's changed at a phenomenal rate and there's a lot of respect in there and, and James has done a phenomenal thing here you know the fact that he's put all levels of chefs in the kitchen and you know the customer gets a great diversity of food you know what menu i mean you look at all them dishes on the menu and we were only told we were only told to bring one dish i think most of us (laughs) bought two dishes so again as chefs we always like to over deliver 
you know, we don't like to overpromise, but we like to always over deliver and make sure that when everyone comes away, they've had an experience of a lifetime. Even if not for every single person in, in there, which I can guarantee you, certainly for me to be around all you guys today, take your pictures, speak to some of you guys, it's just been so much fun. I've yeah. really loved it. I've really, really had a great day. Cool. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time on That's the pass. Right. And remember seaweed. Yes. You know, the Irish seaweed that you got today was from a little island, Rafflin Island, and it's one of the Marmite ingredients. But we know with this sort of demand on food, the farming and everything else, that we're going to have to eat things that are a little bit outside the norm. And it's, like I said, it's that Marmite ingredient. And everyone today that tried that bajia with the seaweed probably didn't even know the seaweed was yeah, in there but it is about that it's about challenging yourself yeah you know as customers and as chefs it's exactly. about completely challenging yourselves and thank you mate no i really enjoyed that thank you next up i spoke to two michelin star chef michael wignall from gidley park hotel did you plan it like that or was it uh, <laughs> well i didn't know what to expect obviously <laughs> Yeah, I did, I did. I've never done it before and all that, like, so yeah, I didn't want to do something too simple and you just want to do something that replicates your food sort yeah. of thing. Was that akin to the sort of style of the stuff then that yeah, you've got? Sort of, yeah, and you know, and obviously it's really super seasonal, grouse has just come into season, it's lovely at the moment, you know, went the other day to actually source them and shoot them and things like that, so it's, you know, it's a bit of a field to plate sort of dish really for me and the Yorkshire Blue and things like that, all, you know, the maple peas or parched peas are all connected, you know, they're all northern things and everything, but just doing them a little bit different and a little bit of a twist to them. You must have been one of the chefs that's come the furthest in terms of all the different country locations, yeah. different people today coming from Devon. Yeah. What was it that made you want to come up and get involved? Yeah, in it's, it's just always good to get you know something with such a good cause for the industry. You know, you never know who needs it. You know, one day and things like that. So it's just good to you know do your small part for a big organisation that will help people in the long run. It's just it's, you always want to help out where you can really you know we're all sort of busy all the time in the restaurants and hotels but it's nice to give something back to the industry one of the things that i think strikes me sometimes is chefs like yourselves are synonymous you know with the world of cooking and i wonder maybe if it it comes with that little bit extra responsibility in what we're saying at the charities that you feel like you have to give back a little bit to the industry do you feel that yeah of course you do and you know we've all had people in our kitchen that have had difficulties in the personal life or whatever and you do what you can you know it's not just about being a chef or a manager you're everything when you're the boss you know you're almost the father figure as well because you spend more time with them than what they do with the family you know and a lot of people that come into catering you know are from maybe broken families or, or something's happened and things like that and they've sort of fallen into catering you know it's probably not as bad now but it you know it used to be that was the case it's just nice to help people isn't it and just be you know just be nice and do you still enjoy being behind the pass and turning out dishes like you've done today and that adrenaline? Yeah, definitely. You know, the day that I don't enjoy it, you know, I'd stop doing it. I just, you know, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a career. You know, you've got to love what you do to create something new. And if you don't love it, you know, you're not creating things and you come stale and bored and that's where you don't enjoy it. You know, there are days when you think, God, you know, what a fucking stupid, hard industry. But then there's other days where you think it's absolutely amazing and there's nothing more rewarding and seeing people around you growing as well. It's 
it's very rewarding one of the things that I ask a lot of chefs is about your inspiration behind the dishes well I'm based in Leeds and I'm aware of your hotel and, and, and the grounds and, and what you guys do so I, I guess inspiration must just be around you all the time yeah it is and wherever you move to you know you use your surrounding area to inspire you know you, the local growers and things like that it's a bit cliche you know it's it is you know and you change your you evolve your style when you move on or you go somewhere else so it's the same as anything you know with travel or anything you take something from your travels and from wherever you're dying you, you know you, and then you adapt it to your style it's that's you know it's like anything in life isn't it it's just a an, every day is a learning process do you still feel like you have a lot to learn in food or is it kind of like you're the teacher now no definitely you know you learn every day and you learn from your peers and you learn from the young people that you take on as well you know i, I'm, I get everyone involved in the kitchen you know it's not just about what i want to put on the dish or whatever you know i ask everyone's input because it's important that they develop themselves as chefs so in later life when they are head chefs that they've got a repertoire and they've got the knowledge to create something if you don't let them do that they're never going to think for themselves and they'll okay anyone can read a recipe book can replicate it but actually thinking about dishes yourself and why things go with other things is so important so something you did today foolishly or otherwise is two dishes can you tell me about the first dish so the first dish we did a lovely poached grouse uh, which we poached in grouse oil slow cook that so it's still nice and pink and but really really soft without the skin on a really young bird only three days old so not hunger or anything so not too strong uh, that was served with a um, sunflower and pumpkin seed granola with bilberries and lingonberries obviously that's what part of uh, the staple diet of a grouse we did a blue cheese mousse with that a really light blue cheese mousse made with Yorkshire cheese cream butter and a little bit of milk in there as well so a nice light mousse to counteract the richness of the dish and also uh, served it with fresh lingonberries a light jus maple peas or pigeon peas very northern thing but really underused as well with an 8 year old barrel aged vinegar with that as well just to give it some acidity and that was the first dish and oh yeah and shiitake mushrooms with a teriyaki like roasted and then we put homemade teriyaki sauce on there and semi dry them so you get the lovely sweetness of the teriyaki but the intense flavour of the mushroom and then the next dish was strawberry so Cornish strawberries with nasturtium that we grow ourselves so you get the really lovely peppery flavour of the nasturtiums and then the sweetness of the strawberries and it's just a lovely combination you know not too sweet you know you've got the, the pepperiness of the nasturtiums and the sweetness and it's just a, a lovely combination like with all the desserts now you know we're cutting back in the sugar and thinking about healthy things and things like that but also you know a lovely fresh tasting summer dessert. When you're planning a dish like you've had to do for today what do you do? Do you, do you start with the main ingredient and build up or are you thinking oh I need to get these flavour profiles in or how do you approach creating a dish? You know some dishes come along really quickly and other dishes take a long process you know we'll, we'll start with a sketch and thinking about the different ingredients that would go with that dish and why they need to be with that dish not just putting them on the plate for you know any reason they need to be on there for a reason and you know they need to lift but not overpower the yeah, main ingredient and it's you know it just starts from there really and then obviously just the most important thing is taste in it and obviously one of the things that like we sort of mentioned at the start is that you had to present 
your dish quite a lot. Is that something you enjoy, the interaction with the customer? And... Yeah, as a chef, it's really important that, you know, you should be proud of what you do and you should interact with the customers. You know, the gone are the days where the chef hides in the kitchen and no one ever sees them. You know, you need to be, they're paying a lot of money for your food. They need to see you. You know, I think a lot of places, you know, the chef's never there and things like that. And they're paying big money for it. So, you know, it's only fair that you can't be there all the time, but the time that you are there, you know, you need to spend it with, with the guests as well. It's really important. How precious are you over your style? Is it something that you have fixed now or do you like to adapt? No, it just it evolves all the time. You know, it's style changes all the time, you know, with, and your style changes with different dishes as well. It's, you know, what you did five years ago or one year ago, you might think, oh my God, you know, why did we put that on? Or you, or you might think, you know, and think, okay, then let's put that back on and let's yeah. enhance it and how can yeah. we make it better? Is it previous recipes you've done? Is it other chefs' inspiration? Is it... You can take inspiration from everywhere, you know, restaurants that you've been to, cookery books, magazines, you know, places that you've been to, visited when you were younger or whatever. It's just it's just a collection of all sorts, you know, working with suppliers and finding out what's coming in and what they've got. We've also got a massive kitchen garden that we grow a lot of our own stuff. So, you know, that's obviously changed. And from, and from what we've seen, it's gorgeous as well. So it must be mm-hmm. quite tranquil. And yeah, it's lovely, you know. We've a chef's space. Garden and, and things like that. So it's, you know, we've got over 300 varieties of fruit and vegetables growing there so it's this time of year is perfect you and know, customers come and stay again it's that whole experience yeah. isn't it it's that start to finish yeah. was it a little bit different than today having customers pass through and no it's, it's, it's nice to interact with the customers and them see how much work goes into each dish because it's not every day well. that you've got people even like myself a lot of the day because you had a nice little cubby yeah. hole I was there behind you yeah. is it off-putting or were you no not at all it is if people are in your way but the, you you know, you just work around people and, you, you know, it's a tight space and there's a lot of chefs here and things, but gone are the days with massive egos and people pushing each other out of the way and things like that. It's just You seem to be a really focused mm-hmm. chef. Would that be fair? Yeah, well, when I'm on my own, I am definitely, you know, if I had someone to help, maybe not maybe not quite as much, but you, you've got to be really focused at what you do. You know, you've got to enjoy it, but you've got to be focused. And is it a case that it actually takes concentration to do the dish or is it second nature now with all these years experience? No, it's, it's second nature, but you, you know you want to do every dish perfect, and you know to the best of your own ability as well. So it's it's important. You've got to concentrate on what you do. It's, and is it is it like a people pleasing thing a little bit? Do you think, or is it uh, self pleasing? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, it's a self pleasing and, and a people pleasing as well. I have to say, ahead of today, you were one of the chefs that I was most looking forward to to meeting and, and having a chat to because, as I mentioned before, you know the, this rich career and and two Michelin star chef there's a bit of pressure behind that because you know every time somebody's meeting you maybe they're a little bit nervous and you know I was certainly nervous yeah. about meeting today because you know you're a chef that I read a lot about and and although Devon is very far I'm desperate to come down one point yeah. from Leeds and, and a lot of the guests that came through today were oh you know would love to come do you yeah. feel that a little bit a little bit but it's yeah I mean you just everyone's human aren't they and it's you might look like you're super focused or whatever but you you know you everyone you'd like to think that you are approaching and you, yeah. it's just yeah. Some people are. So it's all different personalities, isn't yeah, it? Really, you know, like I'm, a, yeah. I'm quite quiet and quite shy. So, you know, it might take a bit more for me to talk and be a bit more outward than other people. But that's just yeah. um, and then, and then I guess if people then are nervous to meet you as well, yeah, it kind exactly, of almost yeah. counteracts. It does. Yeah, yeah. It, it must be quite 
difficult because yeah. obviously for you you're a talented chef and you do a job that you know you love and I can tell that from meeting you and then you've got these people that I think Russell said it in his meeting earlier you know, these people today especially at an event like this are foodies yeah. you know and therefore their heroes their Cantonars Beckhams yeah. whatever are yeah. you guys you know yeah and it's crazy you know in the restaurant you get flipping surgeons and all sorts of well to do people talking to you <laughs> like, and they're, they're in awe of you and, it, and it's strange you now because at the end of the day you're just a cook but, but you know I think the days of just a cook have sort of gone and it seems to have this like state of rock and roll status a bit about it but you know because of the telly and things like that but it, at the end of the day we are we're just cooks and it's just you know we like cooking food what I'm interested in uh, I'll, perhaps we can wrap up on this question is again uh, of all you've achieved what do you feel like you have to achieve now every day you just challenge yourself and you just want to keep improving all the time and, and you know obviously you need to be successful to carry on but you need to be confident in what you do and happy in what you do as well because the day that you're not well, it's the day to sort of stop doing what you're doing and do something else well and luckily it's by the seams of it today let's say in doing the two dishes and mm-hmm. I saw you with the guests it, it seems like you are very happy so please keep going keep doing what you want to do and uh, thank you so much for no, taking the time you. for the past podcast last up was the host of the day the man himself James Close the two Michelin star chef from the Raby Hunt restaurant have you had a good day? Yeah, it's been an absolutely amazing day. You know, you know, we started off this last year, and the idea behind it was to, you know, try and create a bit of giving back to the industry. And I think, you know, we're starting to achieve that. You know, last year we, we were raising, you know, a nice amount of money, but I want to get, we wanted to try and get more and more. So this year, the caliber of chefs that's taken part is just unbelievable. And we, we're just trying to make it better and better. And it's not just about the hospitality action, which is an amazing part of this, but it's also about the Northeast food scene. There's nobody that's done anything like this, probably in the country where they invite seven chefs or nine chefs as it was this year you know, up to a restaurant in the middle of nowhere and ask them to cook a single dish with chaos going on around them and, you know, get away with it. So, <laughs> like, last year and this year, I thought, you know, I'm just going to piss all these chefs off, aren't I? Because, you know, they're put in a little tiny area of a kitchen with no facilities and they've gone, right, do 80 covers now. So, one, they seem to thrive off that. And two, like I said, for the northeast, it's just a great thing to do. Then we give money to the charity it's great it's a social event all our customers are happy they want to come back next year straight away where else in the uk can you go eat nine snacks or as it is now slightly bigger dishes of nine of the best chefs in the uk all in one go within a three or four hour process and and not only that actually see them prepare the dish talk you through the dish interact with them get menu signed yeah, because sometimes these events seem to be all about the chefs, but this one's all about the customers. You know, it's different. Yes, we're all high-profile chefs doing really well. We've all got stars. But to be honest with you, we're nothing without the people that come to our restaurant, and that's why the interaction here is amazing, because we can get Michael Wignall to go and talk to the people he's telling the dish about, 
and that's what they want. They want to get a signed menu. They take it home. Completely different event that it's ever ever been done in the UK. The old school where you go to a charity event and it's like a big ballroom and they're cooking for 200 covers and the chef comes out at the end, says two words and disappears. I don't want anything to do, you know. Amazing event to raise money for charity, but, you know, that's not me. It has to be different. This is different and it seems to work at the moment. So this podcast is a podcast special of the Seven Chefs Seven Snacks event. And the event has taken place at the fantastic, one of my favourite restaurants in the whole world, Raby Hunt and Summer House in Darlington. I'm sat in the beautiful patio area of the newly refurb Raby Hunt with James Close. Thank you so much for joining me, mate. And thank you for having me along. It's been an incredible day. Have you got any highlights? Yeah, loads, to be honest with you. I mean, the highlights are just... One, we've redone the restaurant, so the highlight is to be able to show it off a little bit. Seeing uh, the chefs like Peter from Casimir on the main Raby Hunt Pass doing a signature Casimir dish, you know, I'm buzzing because it's just amazing to see that in my restaurant. And, yeah, highlights, it's probably not even, you know, I'm not bothered about my dish. I am bothered, but to be honest, I just want to see everybody else what they're doing you know that's amazing this is what i was going to say to you actually because when i first met you last november one of the things that i love the most about you is that before you're a chef you are a massive foodie so were you a little bit starstruck in there today to be honest with you this year probably not last year (laughs) last year i felt like i was out of my depth i'm thinking geez i've got who did we have last year we've got james mcnappett from bubble dogs john freeman from sat baines mark birchall who had just left long clue to start his own restaurant and I'm thinking why are these guys accepting to come to the Raby Hunt and I only had one Winchester star back then so I'm thinking why are they coming up here and I was there when they got there I thought I'm embarrassed I've got the, the worst kitchen probably out of anybody in the, in the UK with a star and they're cooking in my kitchen and they're loving it and I was just like wow this is like you know I'm, I don't need to be embarrassed let's just get on with it and this year I don't know, I still don't believe, you know, that, you know, how we've done amazingly well here. I mean, obviously we've got two stars now, which has put us on a different level. So I don't get used to it because I'm always in awe of chefs doing something amazing. You know, at the end of the day, watching a chef at work and creating something that they've really thought about and put all their energy into is inspiring still to me to this day and that's what inspires me is you know I don't want to see a chef going through motions it's just boring you know watching a chef that might just uh, be producing a dish they just don't care about the chefs that are here today have got pride they want to push they want to get better you know they want to be that amazing chef so it's amazing to just walk around my restaurant see these guys in the restaurant and just see what they're doing it's just amazing absolutely amazing the other thing as well is you are self-taught what's the biggest thing you'd said that you've learned so far the biggest thing that i've learned so far is just don't stop never stop just keep going push how are you with things like that you know now it felt like the attention was coming to you and now again with the refurb and you've gone up in the good food list again this year the attention it's not really what i'm into i mean i don't go on tv I don't go, you know, on the, the main Great British menu and things like that. I've got nothing against it, but I'm not going to take a, a day off to not be in my restaurant. People come to this restaurant to see me. So that's the centre of attention that I enjoy is the fact that there's people paying to come to my restaurant, eat my food and see me and enjoy me. So I'm not going to try and go and do something else where I'm taken away from that. 
not yet. You never know what happens. But the, the way that my mind is at the moment, I like to be here every day. That's a centre of attention I enjoy. I don't really go looking for the, the fame or the limelight in any other way. But in, in some ways, I've probably become slightly more famous for doing that rather than doing it the TV way. So like a little bit more cooler, sort of underground-y, sort of... <laughs> Just something coming out of nowhere and suddenly pop up and there you are, James Close, Raby Hunt, you know. (laughs) Don't put that. (laughs) Can you pinpoint a moment where you felt like, okay, this is this is getting serious now? Just before we got the first star, that's when it really got serious because we had a business to run, and my dad came to me and said, uh, "If we don't get busier, this business won't last four months." And I said, "Don't worry, we'll get a star." And two months later, we got a star. And before, that's when it started getting serious. It was like, if we don't start to push and make money in the northeast, you will not survive. Because when a restaurant opens, they come and visit you, then they go somewhere else. It's like somewhere new to go to. We were the new one back then. And then, then somebody else will open in the air and everybody goes there. In order for us to survive, we had to become big enough in the UK to bring people from outside the area. When people started coming from outside the area, that's when it started to really work and got serious. And that's where we're at right now, you know, on a different level to back then. But after I came, I sent you like this big gushy email and meant every single word of it. And obviously I've met and chatted with Maria as well for the second series. Is that the ultimate goal to make customers as as happy as I was? Yeah, I think it's part of the experience for me to get to know the customers if they want to get to know me talk to them speak to them if they ask me questions just you know just give the answers and that's part of the rabie hunt experiences it's hands-on it's james it's all my my team but you know if i could speak to everybody i would do but some people want to be left alone as well so you have to work the customers out but you know that's what we try and do is let them speak to me if they want to before we talk about the dish that you did today, because, uh, like I said earlier, I think actually it resembles something that was on the menu that I had in November, so we'll talk about that in a second. But can you maybe summarise the sort of food, your food philosophy behind the Raby Hunt? Yeah, it's all about ingredients, first of all, is try and get an amazing ingredient and then try and work on the dish. But it can be anything. Like It's crazy, because at the beginning of the Raby Hunt, we were changing menu all the time, bang, 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 bringing on dishes that weren't as good as what was already on. But I felt like you had to change the menu all the time. It's like this creative bug where you feel like you have to create. And if you're not creating and you're not putting a dish on, you're not succeeding. Well, I've changed my complete philosophy with that now. It's more about create something that's better than on the menu. So it takes me up to like eight months now to create something, to take something off. But the new restaurant we've got, we've already made three or four changes on the menu, which is amazing. We couldn't do that in the old kitchen. So it's, you know, the food philosophy is just signature dishes. Don't stress too much about the creative of panicking, oh, I've got to put a new dish on. Take the time, create something that's better than what's on the menu. And if you do that, that's more satisfying than going, I'm going to put that on. That's just come into season. I'm going to put that on. And then you taste it and go, actually, probably not as good as what was on the menu, but I'll just put it on anyway. I can't deal with that. I'm like, perfectionist, it's got to be better. And that's the, in some ways, a little bit dark side to creativity because you have to sort of push yourself so hard to keep going at ideas. If you've been doing an idea for five months and you think, yes, it's going to work in the end, and you think, fuck, 
I've got to hit. I've got to keep pushing this. The satisfaction is when you get to the end, and you've been through that sort of dark side of creativity to get to the <laughs> that final dish, and then it's just amazing. I always say that when I've created dishes, I'm taking two weeks off from creativity. <laughs> it's like a holiday. Little it's like, wow, well, I've got that dish on the menu. That's it. I'm not going to think about anything now for two weeks. Refresh the mind. Make sure every dish that's on the menu is going out as best as it can do and then start again I remember going onto your website when I was booking it and this you know, big phrase would flesh up simplicity and I remember you know being on your Instagram and Twitter and you'd have things like these inspirational words you know perfection and again simplicity are those the sort of things that you're thinking to yourself all the time right keep it simple keep it clean yeah I, I used to make notes actually on my phone about what sums up my food so it would be like keywords like simplicity perfection things that you've just mentioned ingredient led clean on the plate very few ingredients but now I'm a little bit more relaxed because I don't want to restrict myself so now it's like the simplicity thing when you just mentioned it I'm like oh no (laughs) sorry did I make you cringe I, I remember that and I'm thinking you can't put yourself in a bracket you've just got to see what happens so yeah I can't help but being a perfectionist I can't help it if I wasn't a perfectionist I wouldn't be a chef you know I'd just be doing something else the perfectionist side is what makes me want to uh, succeed and it's just I can't stop it it's just one of the most satisfying things for me is um, I get to watch restaurants and people evolve I think back to the second episode of series one was with Josh Overington from Koshon and I've known them pretty much since they opened shop okay I've not been lucky enough to know you for that long but I have for a little while now been able to see Raby Hunt evolve in a really obvious way in this kitchen and new extensions and the and the rooms and etc and I've also seen you grow as a chef and I think that's really nice do you get a chance then to step back and look at your own evolution and yeah, I think it's quite it's quite hard when you're in it all the time. It's like when you're inside that box, there's no way out. So when you're inside the rabie hunt, you've just got to keep working, keep doing the hours, keep pushing on. But then when I get a holiday, I'll go away and I look back at what we've achieved. And for that brief one moment, it's like, wow, what have we done? You know, we got two stars last year. This is amazing. We should all be proud. What do we do from now? We just keep trying to get better. So those moments, it's normally the moments that I look back when I'm not working, when I'm on a holiday. But when you're working, it's just, you know, you can't let it take over. Oh, wow, we've got these two stars and we're ranked highly high in a good food guide. doesn't mean nothing. Absolutely nothing when you're in there every day. You've still got to prep everything up. You've still got to do all the hours. And you know you're going to be busy. So it's only when you get away from the place that you go... Wow, that's quite mm. cool. Let's talk about your dish then today. What was your snack for the Seven Chefs event? Okay, so we did a, a raw dairy cow tartare of beef, obviously, and with a very amazing caviar that we got from a producer out of Paris, the Vesturgeon caviar, a seller out of Paris, actually. And um, we served it with a basil emulsion, some watercress, very simple, classic flavours, and then some really amazing little potato souffles that takes me too many hours in a day to achieve. Yeah, but so nice. People think I'm insane. They must look at me doing these potato souffles, and go, I think you just give up doing them. But, you know, I did 130 or something today of these tiny potato souffles, and... All my chefs just go, oh, God, he's just doing everything. <laughs> I actually can't create anything because I'm too busy doing them. It's like I can't move on until I get that off the menu. So, yeah, we're amazing little potatoes, souffles. Today we had to keep it really simple. You know, a very simple tartare, done to order, Neely. 
and just try and execute it it's, on a day like today it's never going to be like as good as it is in the restaurant because you're doing 80 tartars up to order whereas normally in the restaurant we do 24 for the yeah. night so oh, well I can assure you that the one I had was incredible so cool glad you enjoyed it it was lovely it was really delicious good and that is similar to one that I would have had in November wasn't it because I remember it's those the sort same of flavours flavours but it's completely different meat it's a different completely different presentation it's like off the map differently yeah. and you're presenting it in its yeah, in the, caviar tin which looks gorgeous so it's like an evolution of the beef dish we had on the menu to try and make it better than it was and it's like refined more and it's just like you present it in the restaurant now and it's like it's gone from that wagyu dish which was like a little bit messy yeah like strips yeah and it's a little bit too like not refined enough for me and I used to I used to hate it because the wagyu dish I used to look at it in service and just go I'm sick of sending that I hate it so it's a thing to refine yeah. it and make the same flavours but better I love it and it's not a negative thing please don't see it as a negative thing I just love it because that was probably one of my standout dishes that I had yeah. but for you it's not good enough yeah. do you find that a little bit though that you have to remove yourself and think well the customers are loving it I might not but they're lapping it up or is it yeah. if it's not good enough for me it's not good enough it's not It's not good enough it's just because it's been on for like that in that way it's been on for two and a half years the thing with the wagyu dish was that sometimes it was amazing but sometimes it was not good at all the beef was unreliable to get the consistency more i needed to change it and that's why i've changed it to what it is now it was like if you had that wagyu dish on a great day when the beef was amazing it blew you away blew me away if you have it on a bad day when it's got no flavor at all it's just like this just tastes of nothing so that used to drive yeah. me insane. And I guess then that's the responsibility of you, isn't yeah. it? As the chef, it's like you're making the best decision on yeah. behalf of the diners. Dish which was um, more reliable and more consistent, but the same every time. It was good fun. And it was nice because she did all like sweet yeah, yeah. stuff like with obviously her inspiration. So it was yeah. get a little bit of a different perspective, which is great. Which of these guys then had you... You've worked with Mark was from last year, John Freeman from Sats was last year, and then John Feeney was last year as well, is that right? Yes. And then the rest are new? Yeah, so there's a few of the guys from last year that I'm going to invite every year. The ones that did it in year one, I feel like, you know, they're the first invite, probably the first guy on the list is uh, Feeney. He's a legend, you know. The first time I met him, I was like, what does this guy do? And I still a joke with him. I just still don't know what he does. But every time I look on Instagram, he's eating in one of the world's best restaurants. I'm thinking, this guy's eating more world best restaurants than me. I have to be friends with this guy. So he's always everywhere, but he's cool. So we'll get him on every year. Next year, we'll try and have the game. There are a few guys that have already said, very high-profile chefs, that have said they want to be involved next year. I'm not going to give names away because it's not signed or anything like that, but we will up the game next year the best thing to do then to keep a track of it we've been live on the staff canteen all day we've put out loads of great posts it's been all over Instagram so get yourself on those feeds but look up James on at Raby Hunt you've got Raby Hunt restaurant on Twitter as well yeah. obviously you've got Raby Hunt online so that's probably the best thing to do in terms of next year yeah so next year just keep an eye out on the social media we'll launch it on my Twitter site at Raby Hunt and I promise next year the names I've got in the line are going to blow this one away well if that's not something I don't know what is thank you so much thank you for inviting me today uh, it's been great to meet all the chefs it's been great to chat to yourself and thank you this has been the end of the uh, past podcast 7 Chefs 7 Stacks special thank you so much <laughs>